This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with Pride Goeth Before Destruction. Set apart by the Spirit, Elymas and Paul, God has brought to Israel a Savior, and we bring you the good news. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Deliver me. Deliver me. 
The Lord has enlightened us in the true faith.
reading from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly set in the heavens. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear friends in Christ, today the church marks the commemoration of Johann Sebastian Bach. If you know anything about Bach, you likely know that he signed his compositions Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone, the glory. What you may not know is that he frequently began his competitions signing them J.J. Yesu Yuva. It's a prayer. Jesus, help, or help me, O oh Jesus. As Bach began his work, he began with prayer. He recognized that what he was about to do, he could not do apart from Christ. Everything that he was setting out to do was to bring glory to God. And yet to do that, he needed God's help. Bach's prayer does two things. It acknowledges who Jesus is. He's the one that helps. And it acknowledges who Bach is. He's in the one in need of help. He is not sufficient in himself, but he requires Christ for what he sets out to do. One of the things that the Gospels emphasize for us, especially emphasize for us, is that we are to know who Jesus is, his identity. As St. John so beautifully puts it at the end of his Gospel, which we could say for all of the Gospels, we are to come to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him have eternal life. 
the great confession of Peter in Matthew's gospel, getting a little closer to our gospel lesson for the day, is just that. You are the Christ. You are the one in whom I have life, who takes my sin away. You are the Son of the living God. One of the things that happens following the Sermon on the Mount especially, in this middle section of Matthew's Gospel where our appointed lesson for the day falls, is understanding the identity of Christ. Who is this man who is healing the lepers, raising the dead, restoring sight to the blind, making the lame to walk? Who is this man who calms the wind in the sea? Well, throughout these chapters, of course, the demons understand who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. What have you to do with us, they say? The Jews are troubled by what he is saying and doing. They're convinced he has a demon. They're convinced that he's in league with Beelzebub. The things that he does are contrary to God. John sends his disciples in chapter 11, ask him if he is the one. And what does Jesus do? He points to the things that he is doing. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, lepers are cleansed. Go and tell, bear witness to the things that I am doing, a witness that points to Isaiah 35 and 61, which in fact points to Jesus. His identity is known in the things that he does and says. All of this is going on and it leads us to our chapter, chapter 12. Now the pericope that we have is part of a larger engagement that Jesus has with the Pharisees. It's a contentious chapter. The very beginning of our reading is Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Well, aware of what, we might ask? Well, you know this story well. Chapter 12, Jesus' disciples are plucking the grains. The Pharisees are mad. You can't do that on the Sabbath. You cannot work in that way. You must rest on the Sabbath. You cannot do those things. Jesus begins to argue, and he really begins to press the point in a significant way. He points to David. David ate the showbread. Should he have done that? The Levites are busy at work on the Sabbath. That's unlawful, as you Pharisees understand the law. And then he says two things, two absolutely remarkable things throughout the scriptures, really. He says to the Pharisees, I say this to you, something greater than the temple is here before you. Indeed, the word tabernacling in the flesh stands there before them, and he says something greater than the temple is here before you. And then he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now pause for a moment on this. The temple represents place. The place where God is uniquely found, the place for the atonement of sins. There is no greater place on earth than the temple. The Sabbath designates time. This is the time that we rest as we reflect upon God, the redemption that we have in Him, that He has brought us out of Egypt, that He has delivered us from our sins. There is no greater time than the Sabbath. 
And Jesus says to these Pharisees, no, something greater than the greatest that you know is here before you. What does this mean? Jesus is saying that whatever the Sabbath is about points to him. St. Paul says this in Colossians. He says that Sabbath is a shadow and that Jesus is the reality that it points to. You see, the Pharisees had come up with all of these rules that would prevent you from doing anything on the Sabbath. You could only walk a certain distance. You could only carry certain things from one point to the next. In other words, you had to work very hard to do no work at all. It was an incredible burden that the Pharisees put upon the people. But they did something else. They turned the Sabbath into something about themselves. The Sabbath was designated as holy by God. It really is a remarkable thing. In creation itself, there is no evening to the Sabbath rest that God gives. It points us, of course, to that great eighth day, that eschatological rest we have in Christ. And the Pharisees, dwelling on the shadow, have turned themselves from Christ, who is, in fact, the Sabbath rest, the reality that we seek. And he says to them that I am Lord of the Sabbath. Immediately after this, we read on the next Sabbath or a few Sabbaths later, Jesus is there among the Pharisees, and there's a man with a withered hand. And again, a conversation happens. Are you able to do good on the Sabbath? Can you heal on the Sabbath? That is the question that Jesus asks. Here's the answer. Only if it's a dire case can you heal on the Sabbath, right? If a man is blind and it causes him no trouble, you can heal him the next day. If a man has a withered hand, he's not put out on the Sabbath, you can heal him the next day. Not so with Jesus. He heals the blind, he heals the man with the withered hand, and the scriptures have a beautiful way of expressing this. He makes them whole. He restores them. This is what he does for you and for me. But listen very carefully to the way Jesus puts this. He says, it is lawful to do on the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath rest Jesus is suggesting here is not a lack of doing by which you can focus on the self and you can praise the self for the things that you think you have not done. The Sabbath rest is resting from thinking you can do apart from God, thinking that you are sufficient in yourself, thinking that you do not need God. The true Sabbath is to find yourself in God and recognize that all that you do and will to his good pleasure is brought about by him at work in you. Think about how Luther puts this in his hymn on the Ten Commandments. He ends that stanza saying, put aside the work you do so that God may work in you. The Sabbath rest 
that this controversy in chapter 12 is all about is whether we find our sufficiency in Christ, whether we can begin all the things that we do, as Bach did, help me, O Jesus. Let me go forth by your strength. Let me find myself in you that all I do, I do to your glory. Now this, of course, we can only do by coming to know who Jesus is. And this is, of course, the text that Matthew now provides for us. The longest Old Testament quotation in all of Matthew's gospel. It's that first servant song, and it's about Jesus. Jesus is the beloved son, the servant whom the father has chosen. He is the one upon whom the spirit descends. Now, these are familiar words to all of us. This is what God declares at the baptism. This is what the Father declares at the transfiguration. This one is my beloved Son. Listen to him. I find it remarkable that here in chapter 12, in this very contentious chapter, and it only continues to get worse, Matthew does something remarkable for us. He points us back to Isaiah 42, which necessarily reminds all hearers of their baptism. Because we think of Jesus' baptism, that he is the one that hallowed those waters for us, and we now go forth as God's children in light of our baptism as his children forgiven of sins and found in him, we go forth delighting in our work, saying, help me, O Jesus, that all that I do may be to your glory. This was the insight Bach gave to us. It's a good prayer, and it should be our prayer as baptized children of God. Amen.
hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that, ever mindful of your final judgment, we may be stirred up to holiness of living here and dwell with you in perfect joy hereafter. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Almighty God and gracious Father, in your mercy look on those whose increasing years bring them weakness, anxiety, distress, or loneliness. Grant that they may always know care and respect, concern and understanding. Grant them willing hearts to accept help and as their strength wanes, increase their faith with the constant assurance of your love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but all our doings being ordered by your governance may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. 